Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel and watch the visual version every Wednesday or you could head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts and listen to the audio version every Tuesday. And in today's case, we are going to be talking about the case of Louise Ellis and there is a lot to get through so we're just going to hop right into it. Louise Ellis was born on June 23rd, 1948 in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Growing up, she was described as very funny, very intelligent, she was beautiful, and she also just wasn't afraid to stick up for herself as a very young kid. She was definitely like a debate team kid, like she just always stood her ground no matter what. And she was also described as just not being afraid to talk to anyone or definitely like being the more outgoing person of her friend group. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but like when you're with a group of friends and then you want to like ask the employee something, but all of you guys are way too scared to like ask a question to the worker. And so there's always that one friend that's like, fine, I'll just do it. And then they go up and do it. That was definitely Louise. Like she was always the type of person that was not a afraid to, you know, stick up for herself and her beliefs and she could just talk to anyone. And even into her teenage years and in high school, she was said to be very, very creative. She loved to do art, specifically drawing, painting, sculpting. She was just overall a very creative person and that did not leave her entering her 20s when she went to college. Entering her 20s and into college, that is when she became a writer, illustrator, and a freelance journalist. And even in college is where she was working on her very first book. It was a children's book and through this she realized that that's mostly what she wanted to do in life. She wanted to, you know, do illustration and do writing but for the time being she really just wanted to work with children specifically. She was very big on rediscovering your childlike imagination and tapping into that and being more creative and so she really wanted to just create children's books or work with children in some sort of way. So she started working on her very first children's book in college and would use a very specific drawing style called pointillism, which pointillism is like creating an image, but just simply from dots, not, you know, strokes or lines, just simply clusters of dots. And that was her personal artistic style when it came to writing children's books. And that's exactly what she did after college, she got a job with a children's magazine called Chickadee, and at Chickadee is where she would write short stories, she would do her illustrations, and this job ended up really taking off for her to the point where she was able to get her very first apartment all by herself, and in this apartment, she really just started to become more in tune with herself, and her friends would describe her during this time to be very fun, very loving, she was always hanging 
hanging out with friends. She was really into gardening, tai chi. She was a feminist and she also took many dance classes as well because she actually did dance in college and then after college she pursued dance but more of just like taking dance classes. You know, she's really just thriving all the way around with her career, her social life. She was very, very intelligent as well, and she seemed to just have it all. And then in 1976, at the age of 28 years old, that is when Louise published her very first children's book. It was called The Alpha Vegibet. It's basically like a play on words of the word alphabet and vegetable, which from the description of the book, it was described to be, quote, a whimsical tour through the vegetable kingdom from artichokes to zucchini. It was basically a book talking about healthy eating and making the right food choices and just making, you know, eating your fruits and vegetables and really good foods more fun for kids. She would also do volunteer work on the side. She would frequently do murals at schools and she would also encourage the children to do the murals as well. And this was, again, just her way of working with children and making sure that children don't lose their creativity and their imagination. So she ended up doing this for a very, very long time, working with this magazine, making multiple children's books, and also working with children. But as she got older, she kind of realized that she wanted to shift her career a little bit. You know, she didn't want to move completely away from working with children, but she did want to, you know, start writing for adults instead of children. And so that is when she shifted her career from illustrator and focused more on political journalism and became a justice advocate as well as a feminist. And so that's exactly what she did. She started writing novels and columns dedicated to feminism the school systems, and the injustices in the judicial systems. And as I said, during this time, it seemed like Louise just had it all. You know, she had a really good education. She had a really good job. She had her own place. She was, you know, really in tune with herself. But a lot of her friends would say that although on the outside, it looked like Louise had it all, the one thing that she really, really wanted was true love. She read a lot of books and she would read a lot of romance novels. She was a hopeless romantic and she just really wanted a true love. And there was actually a point during this time where she was dating a man by the name of John and her and John just had a very on and off relationship. They were fighting all the time. They were constantly on and off again, but that is what she really, really wanted. And that's what she yearned for. Just, you know, the love that you see in movies or the love that you read about in books. That's just truly what she really, really wanted. And then in 1992, at 44 years old, that is when Louise was starting to write her very first justice advocacy novel for a man named David Milgard. David Milgard was a Canadian man who was convicted of a 1969 rape and murder of a nursing student named Gail Miller. 
He was 16 at the time of the crime and when he was sentenced, and he was sentenced to life in prison. And at this time, when he was in prison, he had gotten in when he was 16, and now he's 39 years old, and he was still serving that same life sentence. But Louise, as well as many other people, there was even a free David Milgard group of people that believed David did not commit this crime. A lot of people believed that he was wrongly convicted and he was wrongly accused and people looked to him because he was so young at the time. Wrongful convictions is unfortunately something that happens way too often. Um, There's actually this really good Netflix documentary called Long Shots that I think it's very, very interesting and it displays and tells the story of a man who was wrongfully convicted and he was so close to getting life in prison for a murder that he did not commit. And then at the last second, his lawyer had like this crazy evidence. I won't spoil it, but like it it's this crazy evidence that proved that he did not commit the murder. And so he was released. But unfortunately, a lot of people aren't that lucky, such as David Milgard. So a lot of people rooted for David's release out of prison because there were a lot of components to his case, such as DNA found at the crime scene that was assumed to be David's, although it was never tested. There was a key witness of the case named Ron Wilson who was caught switching details and screwing up his story many times throughout the case as if he was trying to cover up for someone. And there were many, many other factors as well. Typically in these, you know, videos, I always put my research link down below. So if you want to like go ahead and do your own research, you definitely can. But during this time when David was fighting for his release, there were a lot of Supreme Court hearings hearings and Louise would frequently go to these Supreme Court hearings and speak with lawyers. She would record, she would, you know, talk to people on the case, just getting more information on her novel. And then at one of the court hearings, there was a man by the name of Brett Morgan who went up on the stand and ratted out one of his cellmates named Larry Fisher. He said that on many occasions, Larry Fisher had bragged about him killing a woman back in the day and having someone else do the time for his crime. And Brett believed that Larry was referring to the murder of Gail Miller. So this was a very big piece of evidence and Brett went up on the stand already being in prison himself, but he kind of risked his own safety in order to help David. And this action alone really struck something in Louise. She was just kind of infatuated with Brett. She thought that he was very brave for doing what he did. She thought that, you know, he is a person that wants to save David and she is also a person that wants to save David. So he clearly has a big heart for others. And he is running a really big risk by ratting out one of his cellmates because if he is being labeled as a snitch in prison, he could possibly get beat up or die in prison due to him doing something like this and so Louise just felt the need to let Brett know this that he was so brave for doing what he did and so as Brett was walking out of the courtroom in cuffs Louise ran up to the officers and was like hey can I just talk to him for a second and so that's when she told Brett like I think what you did up there was very admirable I think you're very brave for doing what you did that was 
was amazing. Like, let's keep in touch. And so at first, she was going to keep in touch with Brett purely for his Larry Fisher lead for her book. Maybe if she had this extra angle and Larry Fisher actually ended up being convicted of this crime, it would be a very tedious timeline for her book that would make her book very interesting. And so the two of them exchanged letters back and forth to one another. And at first, they were very professional, just talking about Larry Fisher and his, you know, behavior, how he was in prison. That is when their letters started to become very flirty, very flirtatious. That is when they just started to, you know, talk about their likes, their dislikes, uh, where they grew up, things like that. And it just totally strayed away from the book at all. And then over time, over about two weeks, that is when they started to officially begin dating. And their relationship continued with back and forth letters. Luis would frequently visit Brett in prison. And this relationship continued over the next two years. And over the next two years, Luis was also trying to work on Brett's case as well in hopes of giving Brett an early release and so they could really start living their life together. They had many plans of moving out together and moving into a big house together after Brett was released. She had plans of them, you know, starting their own business together and she just had big dreams for the both of them after his release and so she was trying all the she could do in order to get him released as early as possible. So you're probably wondering, why is Brett even in prison? You know, what did he do specifically to get in prison? That's very important. Well, Brett Morgan was actually in prison at this time, serving a 10-year sentence for the manslaughter of strangling 21-year-old Gwen Telford. He strangled Gwen in her hotel room, and after the crime was committed, he attempted at disposing of her body, but when the police found out that it was indeed Brett Morgan who committed the crime, he said that he was very high on cocaine at the time and that's why he did what he did but nonetheless he was arrested for her murder and was serving a 10-year sentence. But on top of this 10-year sentence, he was also serving many other years as well for random other charges such as theft, battery, breaking and entering. But even prior to him going to jail for Gail Miller, he had a long, long criminal history of abusing and attempted murdering women. A little bit of backstory on Brett Morgan. Brett Morgan grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and growing up, he was in a very abusive family. Uh, it was speculated very physically abusive. He resorted to drugs at a very young age in order to get away from everything that was going on in his life, and he didn't really go to school, and he didn't have a job, and so in order to get money, he resorted to crime. And then at 15 years old, Brett started to date a 16-year-old girl named Sandra. And Sandra at the time didn't know Brett was 15. She thought that he was 18 because that's what he told her. The couple actually got married because shortly after they started dating, she actually grew pregnant with his child. Sandra's family was very religious in that in order to have a child together, you have to be married 
first. So that's the main reason as to why they got married. And then later on, that is when she gave birth to her and Brett's son. And then so Sandra would say that during this relationship, it was a very abusive relationship. Even though Brett was very, very young at the time, she was constantly being physically, emotionally, and mentally abused by Brett. And then a little while down the road, that is when Sandra grew pregnant with his second child, but she had a miscarriage with this child after a fight that her and Brett had gotten into where it ended with Brett repeatedly punching Sandra in the stomach leading to her miscarriage. Sandra, after this, decided to leave Brett and take their son with her, and she had actually made plans to move to Inuvik, Canada, which Inuvik is a very small town. I think it's population 3,000, and it's just a very small, close-knit town, and it was also a town that her grandmother lived in, so that is where she planned on moving to. But Brett unfortunately found out about Sandra's plans of leaving and so this broke out into a huge argument where Sandra was being beaten by Brett and Brett even pulled a gun out on Sandra. Once things calmed down the very next day, that is when Sandra and her son left Brett and flew to Inuvek in secret. And the documents regarding this specific portion, all of these documents are disclosed. They are um, not available to the public. So I have no clue if Brett went to prison at all for these crimes. I don't know if she charged him with anything. I don't know if she simply just divorced him and left. And then in 1975, that is when Brett met his second girlfriend by the name of Christine. Christine and Brett moved into a house together as roommates at first just to split the rent and make it very cheap to live there, but after a while of them living together, that is when they started dating. The couple started dating for a while and then later down the road, Brett's aunt actually had passed away and with his aunt's death came inheritance and Brett really wanted this inheritance, but the only way that he was able to get the inheritance is if he was married. And so Brett tried to talk Christine into marrying him so that he would have access to this inheritance and after a lot of manipulation, and Brett was constantly promising to Christine that he would split the inheritance with her and after, again, a lot of manipulation, a lot of convincing, that is when Christine had agreed to marry Brett. One day, Christine received a phone call from her landlord saying that Brett had not been paying the rent for a while now and this was definitely Christine's last straw. There were a bunch of other factors as well to their relationship where they would get into constant fights and altercations, some of them which would turn physical. Her receiving this phone call about how they may lose the house over it was just enough for Christine. She felt like it was time to break things off. 
And during this time, Christine said that their physical altercations would never turn extremely physical because in a way, Brett kind of needed Christine around in order to have access to his aunt's inheritance. And so Christine wasn't too scared about breaking up with Brett. She just felt like this was something, you know, all relationships do. There are a lot of relationships that break off or just don't work. And so she wasn't too scared about breaking it off with him but she realized that this was something she really really needed to do and so that is when Christine told Brett that it would be best if they stopped seeing each other they got a divorce because during this time they were married and she said it would be best if we got a divorce and we stopped seeing each other I don't think this is working just being very mature and level-headed and this is when Brett had turned extremely violent to the point Point where he pulled the car over to the side of the road and began to strangle Christine. Christine managed to fight Brett off and jump out of the car and she was running for a while but thankfully slash not so thankfully there was a car accident that was down the street and since it was a car accident there were a lot of police cars around, a lot of squad cars around so she was able to run to an officer and tell him what was going on and how her boyfriend just tried to strangle her. And so then after everything was said and done, Christine later on left to go live in Florida with her mother and got a divorce from Brett. And so similar to Sandra's case, all of these documents are not available to the public, so I'm not 100% sure if Brett had any jail time for what he did. But it is assumed that even if he were to be locked up, he most likely wasn't locked up for that long of a time because over this course of a couple of years, he had been in and out of prison for things such as possession of stolen property, false pretenses, forged documents, breaking and entering, theft. And then it was in 1986 where Brett was sentenced and convicted for the murder of 21-year-old Gwen Telford in her hotel room back in 1978. So he was convicted of the this crime in 1986 even though he had committed the crime in 1978. Now it is believed that it took this long for them to find Brett as the killer uh, because Gwen was a sex worker and unfortunately whenever sex workers pass away or they go missing the police don't really see it as a real case or just don't really bat an eye to these things and so Brett basically got away with murder for nearly 10 years before he was actually convicted of this crime. And so it's very scary to think that Brett got away with this murder. So it's very scary to think how many other women did he kill as well and got away with. But in 1986, he was sentenced to 10 years for the murder of Gwen Telford, which in my opinion, he should have gotten life. Like, that is way, way too short, especially with his long history of abusing and hurting women. He clearly is a danger to society, so why he got 10 years, I have no clue. 
but he didn't even serve out those whole 10 years because he was supposed to be released in 1996, but with the help of Luis's lawyers and all of her research and connections, as well as money, she was able to get Brett released two years early in 1994. And so upon Brett's release, that is when Luis and Brett moved into her house together. At this time, she actually had her own house and she really just helped Brett. She bought Brett a truck as well as business supplies to start his own landscaping business. And Luis was very big on, as I said, rediscovering your childlike creativity. So that is what she was giving to Brett. She was trying to give Brett a second chance at life. She didn't really know him personally per se. She just knew him from his time in prison and the letters that they exchanged. And when Luis, she just had such a big heart and she saw the good in everyone in that when she saw Brett, she didn't see Brett for all of his crimes that he had committed. She kind of saw him as an opportunity to help someone and give them the love that they probably didn't get as a child or just growing up. And so she wanted to be that love for him and try to get him back up on his feet and maybe, you know, turn his life around away from crime. She was trying to fix him, essentially, and try to get him back up on his feet, turn his life around, and hopefully, you know, this would be the start of a new chapter for him. Maybe he can start steering away from crime and violence and really start taking control of his life. So this was a new chapter, not just for Brett, but also Louise as well, and they were planning on spending the rest of their lives together, you know? They really did love each other from what it looked like, and as I said earlier, Louise was a hopeless romantic. All she wanted was that true love, and she felt like she really got that with Brett. She felt that this was such a beautiful story to tell their kids one day, that he was in prison, and she helped him out of prison, and she got him back on his feet and, you know, taught him how to live life again and rediscover his creativity. She felt like this was her true love and this was who she wanted to spend the rest of her life with. And then on Saturday, April 22nd of 1995, the couple had been going out for a couple of months at this point. Louise left her home in Ottawa, Canada to drive about 15 minutes away to the Gatineau Hills in Quebec to visit her ex boyfriend John. Um, as I said, they had an on and off relationship, but when Louise started dating Brett, that relationship just completely ended, but she didn't completely cut ties with them. Although their relationship was over, uh, their friendship still remained because John had a daughter that um, Louise grew very, very close with, and so John and his daughter were going to be up at his cabin in the Gatineau Hills, and Louise wanted to go over there and visit them for her birthday. But unfortunately, that day when Luis went to go visit John and his daughter, Luis never showed up. And then on Sunday, April 23rd of 1995, the next day, that is when Luis's friend and work colleague by the name of Brenda Misson was driving around and she spotted Luis's yellow Jeep parked on the side of a rural road near her home in Chelsea, Quebec, which is about 20 minutes away from the Gatineau Hills. Now, when Brenda saw Luis 
Luis's car. She didn't really think too much of it. It was kind of parked in the driveway of a cabin. So she was just like, oh, you know, that's crazy that, you know, Luis is in Chelsea. I live in Chelsea. You know, she didn't really think too much of it. She was like, oh, that's, that's her car. And then she just drove off, didn't even think much of it. But it wasn't until Brenda got home and she checked her answering machine where she realized she had received a call from Brett, Luis's boyfriend, saying that Luis had not returned home from John's party and asked if she had seen her. And immediately when Brenda heard this voicemail, she immediately thought of Luis's car in the driveway of the cabin. So she calls back Brett and she tells Brett, I actually just saw Luis's car. And so that is when Brett and Brenda call the police and they send the police out to Luis's car and they also file a missing persons report for Luis. When the police show up to the location of Luis's car, Luis's car still was there and they started looking around. They were able to break into the car to see what was inside and Upon looking in the car, they confirmed that this indeed was Luis's car. In the car, all of the doors were locked and there were no signs of a struggle. In the backseat of her car, she had what looked to be an overnight bag, such as pajamas and day clothes, as well as John's daughter's gift. It was a wrapped book about horses with a little bow on it and inside was a signed little message for John's daughter because John's daughter really, really loved horses. And in the front passenger side of the car on the passenger seat was her purse. And inside of the purse was all of Luis's bank cards, her license, her ID. And with this, you know, if Luis was out there somewhere or if she was planning on running away, she would probably need her bank card or her ID or her driver's license. And it seemed like the car was simply just abandoned. They looked into the gas tank as well and they found that the gas still had about half a tank. It was still running, so there was nothing wrong with the car. So there would be no reason for Luis to just drop off this car just randomly in the middle of nowhere, also in some random cabin's driveway. And that is when police filed a missing persons report for Luis and started up search teams. Search teams were conducted, people looking in nearby woods of where the car was found, in lakes and bushes, as well as Brett. Brett was very, very involved in the search teams and trying to find Luis. Brett had actually made and posted missing persons posters all around their town, as well as handing it out to people. He would also stand on the road and on the sides of the road of where Luis's car was found, and he would stop cars that were driving by to ask them, hey, do you live in the neighborhood? Like, have you seen this woman? Well, if you haven't seen this woman, have you seen this car? Do you know what happened? Did you see anything? Do you know anybody who lives in these cabins that I can talk to? Because in this location of Chelsea, it was more of like a summer cabin neighborhood. Like, it wasn't a, a neighborhood that everybody lived in all year round. It was mostly like summer lake houses and summer cabins cabins and this was around April so it was still very cold outside so nobody was in their cabins that time of year. Brett also did press conferences and interviews trying to get the word out and spread Luis's face all around town as well as you know to the surrounding cities. Brett has no apparent reason to kill Luis. 
I have a criminal history, but I would never do anything to harm her. And in all of his interviews, Brett seemed very, very distressed. He seemed like he was genuinely torn apart about Luis's disappearance, and he was fighting actively trying to get her home. But of course, with Brett's convictions for manslaughter and his history of abusing and attempted murdering women, this was what made Brett a prime suspect in police's eyes. When Brett was taken into the station for questioning, he was very, very open with the police and answered any questions that they had for him. He did not shy away from the fact that he had killed a woman and went to prison for it. He just openly said, you know, yes, I did go to prison for manslaughter of a 21-year-old girl, but I was high on cocaine at the time, so I wasn't in the right mind state. I didn't know what I was doing, and it was only when I came came to when I realized what I had done. And so with Brett being very open about the situation and him being extremely involved in the search team, he was also the person that um, wrote the missing report for Luis. He was the one who called the police to report her missing. So the police didn't have really any physical evidence to connect Brett to the missing person of Luis. So they didn't dismiss him as a suspect, but they definitely try to look into other routes. They questioned Brett and asked him what were they doing the night before? Was Luis acting odd? You know, was something off about her? And he said that the night before they had rented a movie and halfway through the movie, that is when she got a call from her ex-boyfriend John and they talked on the phone for about an hour. He said that the next morning, as they laid in bed, they were just talking about, you know, what they had to do that day, what their plans were, and that is when Louise said that she was going up to the Gatineau Hills that day to visit John and his daughter for his daughter's birthday. And so, after that, they got out of bed, they started getting ready for their day, and that is when Louise left the house at around 1 to 1.15 p.m. So, again, the police don't completely rule out Brett, but they do explore other people that could possibly have motives to kill or kidnap Louise. And so whilst this case was a very well-known case on TV, there were a lot of press conferences, it was plastered all over the news, there was a specific woman by the name of Marie Perrant. She was following the case very, very closely. Marie was actually a private investigator in training, and she was very passionate about helping innocent women of violence and just, you know, kidnappings and abuse of men. And she was following this case and felt very bad for Brett. Brett looked torn up when he was in these interviews and these press conferences and Marie had a soft spot for Brett and she had actually just moved to Canada two years prior from Scotland. So she was really trying to find work and get out there in the field as a private investigator. So that is when she decided to take Brett's case as her very first case and try to help him find Louise with her connection connections and field experience. 
Marie had actually lived in the Gatineau Hills, which was about 20 minutes away from where Louise's car was found. And so since she was very close to where this crime had been committed, she felt very called to help Brett and try to help this case. And so that is when she got a hold of Brett and she told Brett, hey, I'm a private investigator. I see your story on TV and I want to help you. I want to help you find Louise and this is just what I'm very passionate about and Brett was all for it. He was like, yes, please help me, you know. I I want to find her and all the help I can get is great and so that is when the both of them agreed to meet up the next day at Brett's home. The next day, Marie and Brett had met up at Brett's home and Marie said that when she walked through the door, they both sat down on the couch and that is when Brett had held both of Marie's hands and just kept on telling telling her how grateful he was and thank you, thank you, thank you. This is all I want. All I want is Louise back home. And so Louise decides to ask Brett a couple of questions, get to know Louise. Maybe there's someone who, you know, has motive to commit any of this. And so while she was asking her couple of questions, she asked him, hey, is it okay if I record this? And Brett was, of course, yeah, go ahead, record it. My hope is the same as I'm sure everybody's is that yeah, we find, find Louise safe and sound Me somewhere. Too. I can't give up. I can't. You know, I mean, she's all I have in my life. It's, it's very hard. I am very alone. And so then Marie, after this interview, goes out and does her own little investigating, and that's when she decides to investigate the area of where the Jeep was found, to which it was at the end of a driveway of a cabin. Basically pulled in, situated right where this, this spot is, and the Jeep was actually pulled in right into the edge, very well parked. So she went up to the cabin, knocked on the doors to see if anybody was home. But as I said, this was an area where no one lived in those cabins all year round. They were more for like summer houses or winter homes. So after looking more into the area of where the car was found and also the positioning of the car of when it was found, Marie came to the conclusion that with the way that this car was parked, it was definitely put there intentively. And she could also come to the conclusion that this was someone that Luis knew and trusted because from the driver's side of the car, they found that the seat was pulled up to the perfect length of how tall um, Luis was. Luis was, I believe, 5'1". So the driver's side seat was um, positioned correctly to Luis's height. Luis was 5'1". And so this was someone that Luis knew. And so maybe there was someone else in the car. But Luis definitely parked this car very intentively. And again, Again, she believed that it was someone that Luis knew that was in the car. And so Marie's trying to get some more information from Brett. She's like, hey, so I believe that this is someone that she knew. I believe that this wasn't a stranger, that Luis wouldn't just get out of the car and purposefully lock all of her belongings inside, such as her bank cards and her driver's license and her IDs. I believe that, you know, something had happened to her to where all of her personal belongings were left in there, but she had parked the car. Marie also tried to um, say the possibility 
possibility that possibly, uh, for example, Ted Bundy frequently did this with his victims where he would be pretending to fix his car and he would ask a very vulnerable girl on the street if she could help him with his car and that is how he would abduct women and this is a very common thing that happens to a lot of women unfortunately so Marie was thinking this route as well that possibly a man this was a very quiet neighborhood a very rural road as I said no one is living here this time of year so she believes that possibly there could have been someone fake fixing their car and with Luis's big heart she possibly pulled over to the side of the road where she tried to help this guy out but then he abducted or killed her and was able to lock all of her belongings in her car and just kind of leave it as plain as that but again Marie still was trying to figure out who could have done this and who could have had motive to do this because Marie believed that this was someone that Luis knew and so she started asking Brett a couple of questions is there anyone you can think of that might have motive to do this and that is when Brett brings up her ex-boyfriend John. She said that John and her had a very on and off relationship from Luis's words. It was very toxic. It was very abusive and it was just not a good relationship to be in and so when Brett and Luis started dating, she had to cut off all ties with John. She had to stop the relationship and this could have possibly made John very angry that they weren't dating anymore or there was no possibility of them ever getting back together so that could possibly be a motive and ironically that same exact day that is when she was going to John's cabin in order to celebrate his daughter's birthday. So while Marie is connecting the dots and thinking that John has something to do with this the police on the other side the police at this point they're working on Brett's case, but they have no clue about Marie. They don't know who Marie is. They have no clue that she's entered the case and she's trying to work on it, but the police are coming up with the same conclusions at the same time as Marie. They're thinking that John could be possibly a big suspect because Brett also told the police that John was said to be very abusive, very toxic. It might have made him mad when Louise had to completely cut all relationship ties with him. So that is when the police show up at John work at University of Ottawa and to ask him a few questions and John claims that he has an alibi. He was at his cabin in the Gatineau Hills with his daughter all weekend. It was just him and his daughter. His daughter can vouch for him and they were just up in the cabin celebrating her birthday and when Luis didn't show up, he did call Brett on Sunday and say that Luis never showed up and so the police found this as very suspicious because they thought, you know, Brett never told us that John had called him and told him that Luis never showed up. But on the same side, it's like, well, maybe Brett didn't tell us that because John is lying and saying that he did call him when in fact he didn't. And so it was a very confusing situation. So the police go out to John's cabin and try to search the area, trying to see any signs of a struggle or anything in the woods surrounding his cabin, but the police found nothing. So at this point, John has an alibi of where he was at the time of the crime. They don't have any evidence. They already searched his home and surrounding his home. So once they rule out John as a suspect, that is when all their focus then shifts over to Larry Fisher. Larry Fisher was the man that Brett had ratted out in saving 
uh, David Milgard because Larry was in prison bragging about killing a woman and getting away with it. And Brett believes that this woman was Gail Miller, the woman that David Milgard had supposedly killed and was wrongfully convicted for. So this obviously gives Larry motive. Maybe Larry felt angry that Brett had ratted him out. And so during this time, for some reason, although Larry Fisher was a suspect in Gail's murder, he was not convicted of this murder until 1997. So during this time of 1995, Larry was out and about. He was out of prison. He had complete access to Louise if he wanted to. And so the police thought, you know, this could possibly be a motive. Uh, Brett had ratted out Larry to the police. And so the only way to seek revenge is to abduct or kill his significant other rather than Brett himself. And so the police do a little bit more digging on to Larry Fisher. But when looking into Larry's whereabouts at the time of the crime, it turns out that he was at a rest stop in Saskatchewan, which is about 33 hours away from where Louise's car was found and the day that she went missing. So they ruled out Larry as a suspect. They realized that there was absolutely no way for Larry to commit this crime when he was so, so far away. So now that they looked into John and that reached to a dead end, they were able to clear him. They looked into Larry and again, they were able to clear him. The only person left of suspicion was Brett. And so the police really had no choice but to look into Brett at this point. So when looking into Brett, that is when the police, their first line of action is to start interviewing friends of Luis and family of Luis, trying to get an insight of what their relationship actually was like. And so a lot of the friends would go on to say that although the relationship looked good from the outside, behind closed doors, this relationship was very, very abusive. When Luis got Brett uh, the truck and the business supplies for his uh, landscaping business, the grand total of all of of that was around $20,000 and Luis did not have $20,000. She had to take a loan out for $20,000 to give to Brett with Brett promising Luis that he would indeed pay her back. But apparently, Brett was working for his landscaping business, but not once did he pay Luis a dime. Luis told Brett, you know, every paycheck you get, you have to put a specific percentage of that paycheck into this loan and pay me back through that. But she was calling the bank and from the bank manager, the bank manager said that Luis was calling the bank like four or five times a day saying, you know, did he put any money in? Is the money paid? Is it paid? And the bank would constantly just say no no money has been added like there's no activity from that account nothing's being paid off and this was very stressful for Luis because Luis had spent all this money on bread all this money that she did not have that's why she had to take out a loan for it and taking out a loan and not paying back that loan affects your credit intensely so this was a very high stress situation for Louise and she would frequently rant to her friends about this situation as well they also found out through Luis's friends that Brett had been stealing Luis's checkbook and forging her signature to send money to himself and just straight up stealing all of her money. 
hey, don't worry, it's still me. Didn't mean to disturb you, I'm just in sponsorship mode. So imagine it's a stormy night outside, the fire is crackling, and your power is out due to the storm. What else is there to do besides sitting in front of this fire? Oh, well, cuddling up with the best game ever, Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a free-to-download casual mobile puzzle game with thousands of different fun and exciting levels and new challenges every time you play. Brand new events and challenges pop up all year round, so you've always got a chance at winning exclusive items, characters, and rewards. You collect cool fiends and customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. You can even power up your favorite fiends to get more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. Even if you lose internet, Best Fiends has offline play so the fun never has to end, like when your power is out due to this crazy storm. It's an easy and casual game to play whenever you're waiting in line, taking your lunch break, or just bored. I'm currently on level 37 and you can get Best Fiends free on the Apple Store or Google Play and even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's Best Fiends like friends but without the R. <laughs> And so now the police are starting to find a motive, a financial motive. They start looking into everything that Brett has told them so far, such as interrogation tapes or written reports, just to find any slip-ups or inconsistencies in his stories, maybe a timeline that doesn't add up. So when digging into Brett's interrogation, as well as her bank statements, Louise's bank statements, they found that in Louise's car, her bank cards were locked locked inside of her car and they found that Brett had told police that Luis left the house between 1 to 1 15 p.m and when they found Luis's car off to the side of the road her bank cards were locked inside of the car so when they looked into her bank statements they found that on the day Luis went missing at 2 53 p.m a withdrawal was made from her bank card for 200 and $80. So the police went to that specific bank, obtained the security footage of that time, and it was Brett Morgan that was taking out $280 on Luis's card. And then at this point, they straight caught Brett in a lie. There is no way that Brett would have access to Luis's card at this time because according to Brett at this time, she would have already been in the Gatineau Hills if she actually left between 1 and 1.15. So how would Brett have access to her card if she was in the Gatineau Hills? And even further, her same card was found locked inside of her car. How would all of that even work? And so this was a big breakthrough for the police. They caught Brett lying and now they're starting to really come down on Brett. And so whilst the police are having their big breakthrough, Marie, the private investigator, also is having her own personal breakthrough with the case. When Marie asked Brett, does he believe that the uh, driver's side, is it in the same position as Luis always has it? Or does it look a little off? Does it look too tall, too short? That is when he said, quote, no, it's exactly the same way I, the car, is the same way Louise left it when she left home. So in that moment, he stutters. He accidentally says the same way I, 
assuming that he was going to say the same way I left it, but instead he stops himself and he says, the car is the same way Louise left it when she left home. So that means he also slipped up. And so Marie herself was also going through a breakthrough. She found Brett slipping up. He was about to say that the seat was the same way that he had left it and not Louise had left it. But why would Brett even be in Louise's car? Why would he even make that slip up? So with at this point Brett being the police's prime suspect, that is when they bugged Brett's home as well as having surveillance cop cars outside of his home as well, just keeping an eye on him. And so when the police are listening in on Brett's conversations in his home, that is when they hear about a woman named Marie. So they look into Marie Perrant and they find that she is a private investigator in training. This is her very first case on the job. So that is when the police contact Marie and ask her what has she found so far it sounds from your guys's conversations that brett really trusts you and he cares about you so maybe we could do something with this so that is when Marie talks about everything that she has heard so far, everything that Brett has told her so far, and she also mentions to the police Brett's little slip-up that she found on the recording. So that's when the police decide to team up with Marie, and that's when the police tell her, you know, Brett obviously trusts you, and he cares a lot about you, and he seems like the type of person that would tell you anything, and so maybe if he trusts you a little bit more, we can get him to confess to his crimes with the bugs that are in the house. And this was very scary for Marie to get closer to Brett because at first it was a very professional, you know, interaction. She was simply just there to help Louise and find Louise. But Marie at this time was very young and Brett had already been convicted of murdering a woman in the past and had a long criminal history of abusing and attempted murdering women. And so this was a very very big ask for Marie because she's putting herself in a lot of danger by getting closer with Brett and hanging out more with Brett. And so she runs the risk of, you know, Brett falling in love with her or Brett having feelings for her and then him abusing her as he did all of his other girlfriends. But Marie was very determined. She was very determined to find Louise. She wanted to bring Louise justice and she was going to do anything she had to do in order to find Louise. And so that is when Marie agrees to do it. She says, okay, I'll do it. And not only will I get you a confession from Brett, but I'll do you one better and I'll find you the body as well. So Marie and the police build this plan that they will get Brett to confess his crime through thinking that John is the killer. So they believe that if Marie constantly tells Brett that John is going to go down for this murder and really convinces Brett that John is the one who convicted this crime, then possibly Brett will feel more comfortable about opening up and, you know, talking about the murder or talking about the case if he knows that nothing is being pointed towards him and everything is being pointed towards John. And a man by the name of Mark Logan, an expert in psychopathology on the case, said that Brett possessed a lot of psychopathic characteristics and said that this method may work because, quote, the psychopath can be certainly out-tricked. These folks will play the game, they love the cat and mouse, they love getting close to people and gouging their sense of fear. 
And so then in June of 1995, Marie goes over to Brett's house because Brett's house is bugged so the police can listen in on every conversation that they're having. And so that is when Marie tells Brett that she believes John did it. She believes that John is the killer and he's the one responsible. But in order to understand what John did or where he disposed of the body, we need to get into the mind of a killer. So she looks to Brett and she goes, you know, you've killed before, right? You're a convicted killer. So if you were to get into the mind of a killer, what would you do? You know, what would you do to a body and where would you dispose of the this body if hypothetically you were in this situation. And so Brett's response in this situation was being very analyzed because what he said really determined if he was guilty or not. Because if you think about yourself personally, if you think about, you know, think of like someone that you love very, very dearly, whether that be a significant other, a best friend, a mother, a father, your sibling. And if that person that you loved very dearly were to be missing or possibly dead and possibly murdered by someone and the police asks you if you were the killer what would you have done to the love of your life or how would you dispose of the love of your life's body that's a very terrifying question that's a very terrifying thing to think of it's very uncomfortable because you don't want to think about the person that you love very very much like that or in that way or that someone would kill them you just you don't want to think of those things and so to anyone a lot of people wouldn't answer that question because it is a very uncomfortable question to be asked. But as for Brett, he was quite the opposite. He was very open about it, cocky even. And he was saying things to Marie like, oh, well, have you ever carried a dead body before? It's so heavy. You have to be very, very strong to carry one because it's all dead weight. And he compares it to carrying a sack of potatoes. And he goes on in very deep detail as to how he would kill someone and how he would dispose of the body and why he would kill someone. And when Marie asks Brett, well, how would you dispose of the body? That's when he said, quote, I would hide it in the woods. And so Marie just goes, great, you know, you're, you're getting in the mind of a killer. John is a killer. So most likely John would have to hide it in the woods somewhere. Let's go out to the woods tomorrow and try to find it. And so that is when the both of them set up a specific day for them to meet up and go search in the woods for Luis's body. Marie then goes to the police station to which the police already know everything that's going on because they've been listening in onto all of their conversations. And before Marie goes out into the woods with Brett, the police actually took the lining of Marie's purse and they bugged the lining of her purse. So even though she's out in the woods, the police would still be able to listen in on all of their conversations and what was happening. And the police once again reminded Marie as to how much danger she is being put put in right now because Brett was a convicted killer. He has killed before and who's to say that he hasn't killed multiple times before and has gotten away with it multiple times. And so the situation that she's being put in is very, very dangerous. She's going into the woods with someone that she barely knows that has full power over her and they don't even know where they're going. Brett simply just said, let's go look in the woods and didn't specify 
specify what woods he was talking about. He didn't specify if it was the woods around John's cabin, if it was the woods around where her car was found. He didn't specify. He just said, let's go out to the woods. So this was a very dangerous situation. And if they were going out into the middle of the woods where it was very quiet, the police were not able to follow her or go into the woods because if Brett gets one hint of the police or that Marie is working with the police, who knows what Brett could do? They're in the middle of the woods all by themselves. The police aren't going to hear them for miles and miles. And so this is a very dangerous situation for Marie to be put in, but Marie persisted. She said, you know, I understand the danger, but I have to bring justice to Louise and I have to find her. And so then the next day, that is when the police bug her purse and they have two surveillance police cars on standby that are like very loosely following Brett. They know where Marie is based upon the uh, bug inside of her purse, but they still wanted to keep police close nearby somewhat just so they, you know, feel more comfortable if something were to happen to Marie, there's someone there within close range to help her. So that day, that is when Marie gets into Brett's truck and both of them drive off into the woods. And again, Marie has no clue where they're going. And Brett just continues to drive and drive. And Brett at this point is under the impression that whatever happens, John will take the fall. So even if they were to find Luis's body that day, John would take the fall. And so Brett didn't really seem very nervous about it or anything. Him and Marie were just having normal conversations the whole way there. They drove for about an hour and a half into a very quiet and remote wooded area and the police could not follow them because since this road was very, very narrow, it was a road that not that many people go down. The police couldn't go down that road because they knew for a fact they would be found and they also couldn't go into the woods with Marie and Brett when they went into the woods because it was very quiet out there and you could easily hear your footsteps and even if you were like a long long ways away you would still be able to hear your footsteps and one hint that the police are following them we have no clue what Brett will do. So Marie says that they walk into the woods and they're walking deeper and deeper into the woods and that is when she looks over and she realizes that Brett is sweating a lot. Like he is drenched in sweat. She said that you could wring out his shirt with how much he was sweating and that is when Brett looks at her and he looks her up and down and says, quote, you know the only time I sweat like this is during sex. And so this makes her very uncomfortable, understandably, but it also makes her think that maybe going out into this woods is reminding him of what he did to Louise because she knows for a fact Louise's body is in these woods. This isn't some random woods that they drove into an hour and a half for. And so she knows Louise's body is in this woods. She just doesn't know where she needs Brett to lead her there. And if he only sweats like this during sex, it kind of infers to Marie that this is obviously a very sexually gratifying situation for him. He's being reminded of all of the things that he did to Louise and he's getting excited thinking about it. 
So they continue walking and neither of them are really talking. It's very silent out there. No one's talking. And so since no one is talking, the police don't hear anything and they start to get very concerned for Marie's well-being. They're starting to get a little nervous, a little scared because they don't hear any talking. So for Maria's safety, the police decide to fly a helicopter over the woods to make sure that Marie was okay. But unfortunately, this helicopter was very terrifying for Brett because he kind of connected the dots and was like, okay, this is a very quiet and remote wooded area. Why is there a helicopter up there? They're clearly looking for someone. I didn't say to the police that I was coming here, Marie, you're the only person that I told that I was going here. So you're probably working with the police. So Brett turns to Marie and starts asking her, are you an undercover cop? Are you wired right now? Because there's no way and no reason that that helicopter should be flying over these woods right now. And so Marie drops her purse and she lifts up her arms and she's like, you can pat me down. I promise I'm not with the police. And so he starts to pat her down and then halfway through he goes, no, it's fine. I'm not going to do that. I trust you, but I need to get out of here. We need to leave. And so that is when the both of them turn around, get back in the car and just drive home. So for weeks after that point, uh, Brett just refused to go back to the woods. Every time Marie would bring it up, he'd be like, no, let's not go back there. Like it was too scary. It was too traumatizing. I can't do it. And so that is when Marie and the police were kind of left at a standstill and they needed to figure out a different angle to bring Brett back into those woods. So the police's new angle that they were going with was to try to find Brett's motive and try to figure out if they could possibly use his motive as a way to bring him back into the woods or possibly confess. So the police try a different angle and that's when they realize that Brett's motive for most of the crime was Luis's money. He was always trying to steal Luis's money. He was forging checks in her name. He was just straight up stealing from her all the time. And that could possibly be a way for the police to bring Brett back into the woods. And so at this point, this is what I was thinking. And so I researched a little bit into it. I was thinking, you know, if the police already know that the body is in the woods, why don't they go out there and search the woods themselves? for her or why don't they fly helicopters over those woods and try to find the body themselves but because they had little to no evidence on Brett it would look very suspicious if Brett randomly went out to this you know completely random woods an hour and a half away it was not by mistake it was very purposeful and even more he found the body in those woods it would look even worse for Brett and so since they already had minimal evidence evidence to point Brett to the crime, they needed a little bit more. So it would be more helpful if Brett were to find the body rather than the police finding the body. So with the police's new angle in trying to use Luis's money as a way to get Brett back into the woods, because at this point, Brett had no money of his own. He wasn't working. He didn't have a job, so he had no money. He had no paychecks coming in. The only way he was able to pay for his bills was was by pawning off some of Luis's business supplies. So he was pawning off like her printers and her computers and just all these random things in order to pay the rent and the bills. 
And so the police get someone from the bank to call Brett and tell Brett that Louise has made him her heir to all of her money and her estate. But the bank teller tells Brett that since Louise at this time is only a missing person, if Louise were to come back and all of her money was given to Brett, that would not be okay. So the only way for Brett to receive all of her money and all of her estates is if she were to be proven deceased, such as finding the body. And so one day, Marie and Brett were out at a pub drinking a beer and they were just, you know, talking about everything. They were talking about their days. Also, during this time, her purse is bugged and the police are looking at them through an outside window from across the street. So the police are still keeping an eye on Marie and Brett. They don't want to leave Brett and Marie alone, like completely alone, just because they know Brett is a very violent person. He tends to have very violent out burst and so they're trying to protect Marie throughout all of this and so they're at this pub they're drinking and that is when Marie lies to Brett and says hey I heard through the grapevine that John actually took a polygraph test today and failed miserably so he definitely is the killer he definitely did it but all we need is the body all we need is Louise's body we need to find her and so if we have the body that's it for John like he is getting locked up we're pinning the crime on him all signs point to him and so as Brett is hearing all of this he kind of gets a little suspicious and so that is when he leans into Marie and he says to her quote how do I know you're not an undercover cop and so he leans in to kiss her but Marie knew Brett through and through. She knew that this was definitely a test. She knew that if she kissed Brett, then that would be a sign of her not working with the police because that is very, very wrong to do. But if she were to not kiss Brett, that would tell Brett that she's definitely working with the police because it's something that she's not supposed to do. So when Brett leans in for a kiss, Marie makes the split-second decision to kiss him back. And in an interview later on, Marie described this moment and said, quote, It just made my blood go so cold, but I did it, and it seemed to put him very much at ease. And so the police, since they had bugged her purse and they were looking at the whole interaction from the outside, the police were angry. They started calling her immediately. And so when Marie picked up her phone, the police were like, pretend that this is your daughter but you need to get outside right now like this is unacceptable and so while Marie is on this fake phone call she's saying things like oh yeah I'll be home soon you know leftovers are in the fridge and meanwhile on the other line the police are like why are you doing this? You cannot do this. This is unacceptable. This is so unprofessional. You need to get to the station right now. And so Marie is like, yeah, there's leftovers in the first. Like she's just super nonchalant. And so then she hangs up the phone and she tells Brett, I need to go home to my daughter. I'm so sorry. Um, but maybe we can pick this up tomorrow. So Brett walks her out of the bar and uh, walks her out to her car. And before she gets in her car, that's when Marie says to Brett, okay, what are we doing tomorrow? Do you want to go back out into the woods tomorrow? Do you feel like you're ready for that? And Brett goes, yeah, 
let's do it. Let's go tomorrow. Let's go back out into the woods. I feel like, I feel like this is something we should do. And Marie goes, okay, perfect. We'll meet tomorrow and we'll go back out into the woods. So Marie gets in her car and she drives to the station where everyone is very angry at her. They're all coming down on her. They're saying, you know, you don't know what you just did. So although the police were glad that Marie was able to convince Brett to go back into the woods, they were already very angry at her because we know from the last time that the woods and the environment in general clearly gives Brett some sort of sexual gratification. It brings those feelings out of him. And so if he goes into the woods all by themselves with Marie, it's very scary to know what could happen or what could possibly happen. And if he feels like, you know, that you guys are a thing or something's going to happen, he may take you out into the middle of the woods where nobody can hear you and do something very, very scary to you. And one detective on the case actually said, quote, the thrill of going back to the scene of the crime is often very sexual for most killers. It's a very, very scary game to be playing with someone if that person has total lack of remorse and lack of empathy. A lot about power and the power of being able to go back as as if being God and saying, I can be back here and nobody's going to get me. And so that's why the police were very mad at Marie because they knew that this was going to be 10 times more dangerous for her to be encountering in and they didn't want to make the situation any more dangerous than what it was. And so, as I said, since this place tends to bring sexual feelings out of Brett and Brett clearly has sexual feelings for Marie... It's very hard to know what Brett would do to Marie when they go out into the woods the very next day. He might, you know, do something scary. And so then on July 7th of 1995, the next day, that is when Marie and Brett go back out into the woods with Marie's purse bugged and the surveillance cars following the same exact routine as last time. And during their walk, the first time around into these woods, as I said, it was very quiet. It was very awkward. It was so quiet to the point where the police had to make sure Marie was okay. But in this time around, Brett was particularly very talkative. And not only was he talkative, he was asking very odd questions to Marie. And there was one conversation that they had where Brett said, quote, are you nervous to be in the woods alone with a convicted killer? To which... Marie had replied with, should I be? Do you trust me? Brett replied with, yes. And Marie replied with, well, I trust you too. And as they're walking further into the woods, they're talking and that's when Brett randomly points up to a mile ahead and says, oh, watch out for that up there because there's some barbed wire. And in Marie's head, she's thinking, you know, why did he just say that? Because clearly, if he knows that there's barbed wire up there, he's been here before. Like, he's proving to me that he's been here before. He's proving to me that he knows the area very well. And he's also proving that he knows exactly where we are. Like, he's taking me to a very specific location. And so, it's hard to tell if Brett did that on accident as like, oh, genuinely be careful because there's barbed wire up there. Or if he did it more as a power thing to drop hints to Marie, like, yeah, I've been here before and this is, you know, very powerful for me because I can come back to my crime and I'm not even being blamed for it. So as they're walking down, that is when Marie catches something out of the corner of her eye and she looks over and she says, what's that over there? And Brett immediately, without skipping a beat, just says, 
it's Louise. So Marie walks over there and she finds that the thing that caught her eye was a tennis shoe and not too far away from the tennis shoe was a body wrapped up in a shower curtain. And so both her and Brett knew that this was Louise wrapped up in this shower curtain. And so Marie looks to Brett and Brett has this stare on her. She says that it was a stare that was so terrifying that he was simply just looking through her and just gazing at her. He didn't look angry. He didn't look sad. He was just staring right into her soul. And this was very, very terrifying because it looked like any second now he was just going to like snap and do something to Marie. So Marie had to act very quickly. Her following steps are so, so crucial into her safety and her life depends on it. You don't know what Brett would do in these woods all by themselves. And so Marie is very terrified. What if Brett kills me now because he now knows that I know where Luis's body is. What if he's starting to realize what he's done and he kills me too? And so in a very split second decision, that is when Marie just grabs onto Brett's face and holds him and says, quote, Brett, Brett, it's all right. You're okay. Don't worry. We found her. We found her. She's all right. Don't worry. It's okay. Me staring, me staring. And at that point, he blinks, and it's almost like I broke that chance fix, that, that stare that he had. And I thought, I'm okay. Safe. And so Marie says that after she did that, it looked as if Brett kind of snapped out of it, like he was in a trance, and then he just blinked and he was himself again. And then he looked over at Luis's body and he ran over to her and just started crying. He was sobbing, he was yelling out Luis's name, and Marie was also crying as well, but mostly crying because it was all over now. She she didn't have to talk to Brett every day. She didn't have to be scared for her life every day. She didn't have to do anything because Marie had finally brought justice to Louise. Louise's body was found. She was not going to be a cold case and so Marie was just crying out of relief and happiness and sadness. And so afterwards, Brett that afternoon walks into the police station and tells the police that he had found Luis's body in the middle of the woods. And so he tells the police very openly because he's under the impression that John will go down for this. And so he's very open with the police. He tells them exactly where he found the body and what happened. But later on that afternoon, Brett was arrested and charged with the murder of Luis Ellis. And so when the police asked Marie if there was any messages that she wanted them to tell him, and she said, quote, How does it feel to be taken down by a woman? And this is just so powerful because Brett his entire life has been abusing and hurting women and killing women and he just has no respect for women, no regard for women. And so the fact that it was a woman that manipulated him and basically made him confess and now he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life due to a woman is just such a slap in the face to Brett. 
So after Brett was arrested, that is when the police granted access into Brett's home. And while they were investigating the home, that is when they came across Luis's journal. And so from the entries in Luis's journal, they found that two months after living with one another, Luis wrote in her diary about physical fights that her and Brett had gotten into, fights such as Brett pouring beer over her head, as well as punching a hole through the bathroom door during one of their altercations. Luis had also started no noticing that money was being taken from her bank account and in January of 1995 she had noticed that a specific check had been made for $7,000 with a forged signature and it was addressed to Brett's bank account. So she knew for a fact this was Brett that was doing this because why would a random stranger take $7,000 of her money and put it into Brett's account? So due to this, it caused a lot of altercation. It caused a lot of fights to the point where Louise just kicked Brett out of the house and Brett actually moved out of the house and was living in a basement apartment until after a while he couldn't afford to live there anymore. So he had manipulated Louise into taking him back into the home in February of 1995 with the intention of moving out by May 1st. But even while he was temporarily moved back in February, Louise found out that there was another check for $5,400 forged in her name going to Brett's account. So you can clearly tell that Brett was taking advantage of Luis's generosity. She felt very bad for Brett. She loved Brett. So, of course, she took him back into her home just to steal even more of her money than he had already stolen from her. So, it's clear that he had no respect for her, no real love for her. And it's kind of sad to see because that's really all Marie wanted. She was a hopeless romantic. All she wanted was true love and to be loved and the fact that she was being taken advantage of for that is so so sad to see. So then in the fall of 1997 that is when Brett's trial began and the whole trial lasted around six months with over 90 witnesses testifying and so up until the day of Brett's trial he was still pleading his innocence and so since he was pleading innocence the police never got a proper confession from him but this is what the police and the prosecutors assumed is what happened on the day Luis went missing. From the testing done on the home, the police believe that on April 22nd, the day that Luis went missing, Luis had confronted Brett and demanded him to pay her back for not only the loan, but all of the money that he had stole from her. This was on April 22nd, and Brett planned on moving out by May 1st, so time was ticking for Brett, and so this is when Luis was just at her breaking point. All she wanted was her money back and for Brett to be out of her life and this is when a fight had occurred. It was believed that while Luis was in the bathroom getting ready to go over to John's house, Brett had walked into the bathroom and strangled her. In a struggle, Luis had grabbed onto the shower curtain to which the shower curtain had fallen off of the pole and this led to Luis being strangled to death by Brett. When Brett knew that Luis was dead, Brett later used the shower curtain that was ripped down by Luis to wrap her body up 
put her in the back of her own car along with all of her belongings and drove an hour and a half away into a remote location in the woods to dispose of her body still wrapped in the shower curtain. And Brett did not do a very good job at hiding her body either. He simply just threw a couple of twigs and leaves over her. And one of the detectives on the case even said that he had seen people put more respect into burying their dogs than he put into burying Louise. After he had disposed of her body, he took her car and drove it to the nearest bank where he took out $280 from Luis's card before driving Luis's car into the middle of nowhere, parking it outside of a random cabin in Chelsea, Quebec, before locking all of the doors with her belongings inside. It's also believed and speculated that Brett tried to um, park Luis's car in front of John's cabin as a way to frame John, but Brett actually got the wrong cabin and parked it in front of the wrong one, so that's why her car looked so out of place and just parked in a random location. And then in 1998 is when Brett Morgan was found guilty for the first degree murder of Louise Ellis and was sentenced to life with no possibility of parole for 25 years. However, he would never live to see those 25 years because two months into Brett's sentencing, he had passed away due to hepatitis C. And shortly after he did pass away, the police had suspected Brett of two other unsolved murders in Alberta during the 1970s, to which these unsolved murders he was never convicted for. As far as the aftermath of it all, Luis's name is actually featured on the enclave the Ottawa Women's Monument. From what I could read, this monument is, quote, a public monument that honors the lives of local women and girls murdered by men between the 1990s and 2000s. It is located in Minto Park off the Elgin Street in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. It was built in 1992 by the Women's Urgent Action Committee in reaction to the Montreal Massacre of December 6, 1989, and the patriarchal climates of violence against women. And yes, that is the end of today's story. If you guys found this video interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe if you're on YouTube or if you're listening on Spotify or Apple. Make sure to rate it five stars because it really does help me out a lot. This case was very, very heavy, and I am curious to know what you guys think below. It's just very sad to see how Luis clearly had such a big heart for Brett, and although he had committed so many terrible, terrible crimes, she still saw the good in him and wanted to give him a roof over his head and a second chance at life. And although Brett was given that second chance at life, he took it advantage of her and stole all of her money and inevitably stole her life as well. It's a very terrible situation and it was a very terrible case to read about, but I am glad that Marie was as brave enough as she was to go through all of those scary things. Like, I could never, ever in a million years do something like that. Voluntarily going into the middle of the woods with a killer and with absolutely no help around you, no police, only a bug in your purse, and that 
that bug in your purse is not going to help you from getting murdered. So this was a very, very scary situation that Marie was being put in, but Marie wanted justice for Louise so terribly that she put her own life on the line in order to save Louise's. And I think that's very, very powerful. Um, as for Marie now, she's still a private investigator. Uh, she still does interviews about the case because this is one of her biggest and most well-known cases. This was also her first case as well. So just from that first case alone, you can already tell how dedicated she is to helping abused and innocent women. And I also found it very interesting how the police had gotten the bank to call Brett and tell him that he was the main heir to all of her fortune so that he would go back into the woods from a, you know, criminal justice or investigator point of view. There were a lot of interesting things about this case and I would love to hear your guys' thoughts about it and what you think. Let me know in the comments below. If you go ahead and do your own research about this case, as I said, all my research will be linked down below. Um, if you go ahead and do your own research about this case, if there's something that I didn't mention that you think is interesting or if you think is worth adding, make sure to leave it in the comments below. I'm pretty sure everyone here will love to hear it. And so, yeah, that is the end of today's video. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Make sure to be safe out there. Make sure to go outside today, you know, breathe some fresh air, uh, bask in the sun for a little bit. And if the sun isn't out by you and if it's raining, listen to the little rain patter and read a good book. Tell someone you love them today, even if that someone is yourself. And just take care of yourself today. Overall, Take care of yourself and I will see you guys next week. Bye.